Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Well, we're really in a kind of interstitial moment right now. Yom Kippur has officially concluded. Shabbat is already upon us. Sukkot and then Simchat Torah will be following quickly. When we finished our break the fast meals Thursday evening, what are we supposed to do? Go out and start building the sukkah to get things ready, the festival booths. We should already have our lulav and etrog in hand, but for those of us living in Los Angeles, one can always run over to Pico Robertson Friday, Sunday, and do the necessary shopping. And when Sukkot and Shmini Atzeret end, we will leap immediately into the fantastic joy of Simchat Torah. Throughout this entire period, it is okay to wish a Shana Tova to each other because there are traditions that teach us that the gates of repentance aren't really closed until the end of Sukkot. So no matter what we said at Ne'ilah, we still have some time. So Shana Tova. And of course, Chag Sameach is always appropriate. Happy festival. Uh, and traditional Jews will respond. They'll say, you'll say Chag Sameach, and they'll say to you, Chagim Uzmanim L'Sason. Chag Sameach, Chagim Uzmanim L'Sason. May your festivals and holidays always be accompanied by joy. But when the Torah scrolls have been restored to their usual mantles, and the white mantles have all been packed up and sent off to the cleaners. Do you know what happens next? A big sigh of relief rises up from synagogue staff and lay leaders and from the clergy as well admitted. It's true. Never will the ordinary day-to-day quotidian life of a synagogue ever be so welcome and so attractive then, right after Simchat Torah. Okay, our Sedra HaAzinu, Deuteronomy 32, 1 and following, isn't filled with much joy or with many sighs of relief. Rather, the tone in this Sedra is somber. Despite the beauty of what is a unique poem, second only to the Song of the Sea, found in what Exodus chapter 15, in our Sedra, the words of praise are reserved for God and words of warning strictly for B'nai Israel. Moses is literally living the last day of his life. He knows quite well the weaknesses of the people. This is just a snippet of how Moshe Rabbeinu describes our ancestors in a sedra that, after all, is only, what, 52 verses long. Moses on Israel. Unworthy, crooked, perverse, ungrateful, rebellious, treacherous, devoid of sense. That's us in this sedra. That's us we recognize ourselves immediately. Those same verses then go on to describe God, the other partner here, as the one whose deeds are perfect, our father, our mother, our protector, the one who provides us with the richness of the earth, 
a vengeful agent of death, who at the same time is the ultimate source of life, and who, by the way, will forever protect us from our enemies. God and the people of Israel and our Sedra, the ultimate odd couple. But at least they both, God and Israel, always had Moses around to mediate the attacks on the covenant coming from both sides. Moses was able to directly challenge God when God had despaired of ever getting this divine message through to this recalcitrant band of former slaves. But Aaron is now dead. Miriam is now dead. Besides Moses, only two members of the original generation that fled Egypt are still alive. So Moses makes clear to the people that he will not go with them into the promised land. This picture of Moses' last day was, and I'm sure you know this, the inspiration for Martin Luther King Jr.'s last speech in April 1968, delivered one day before he was assassinated. Who can ever forget King's words? But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Martin Luther King channeling Moses from our Cedra. Locambi Israel Kamosha Od. We will read that sentence near the very end of the last words of the Torah on Simchat Torah. There never arose in Israel ever again one like unto Moses. Who is Moses? Lawgiver, teacher, nation builder, military leader, an intimate of God who heard God's message directly, God's spokesman, the interpreter of God's will. That's Moses. Yes, the people squirmed under Moses' leadership. Yes, they pushed back against him. Yes, they defined him. Yes, they rebelled against him. But Moses was always there mediating God, Israel, God, Israel, Moses. He was the link back to Egypt. He was the constant reminder of what the covenant means. And this was going to be his last day on earth. Everyone remembered. Everyone knew about how Moses had disobeyed God and was therefore denied the privilege of entering Canaan. They knew. They knew why Moses had to die, but they probably did not know what was really happening there that last day, right before their very own eyes. The Midrash, later on, dug deeply and discovered some necessary truths. I'm grateful to Rabbi Shai Held, who lifted up these truths for all of us to see. First, a truth. Moses had to die 
because we all have to die. That is the nature of human life. Those of us who are born will all die. That fate cannot be escaped, not even by Moses. That truth makes every hour of our lives, every day of our lives, infinitely precious, the same way that impending mortality makes a flower infinitely beautiful. The same way that mortality makes shared love so rare, so precious. Next truth. Moses had to die so that the Jewish people could live. With a representative of God leading them, the people was not free to make their own moral and ethical decisions. My friends, life is deciding. Life is choosing. Living is working through how we view the significance of who we are and what we will do with the tools that we have been given at a certain point Hard to say. A living Moses became an impediment to the people's need to live their own lives. The third and final truth. Moses had to die so that the Torah could live. Torah was intended to be a dynamic document, ever-expanding, so as to address an ever-changing world. Torah was the text of our covenant, and we had to be free of our founding father so that we could take full responsibility for Torah. We had to own Torah. We Jews began to take on that responsibility only when the Torah was firmly clasped in our hands and no longer in Moses' hands. That is when Judaism really was born. Lo he. With the passing of Moses, Torah and Judaism no longer resided in heaven. With the passing of Moses, Torah and Judaism were empowered to change the world within which we live. There is tragedy, therefore, lurking behind the words of our Sedra. We know that. But Rabbi Held also believes that redemption is there as well. No one will ever live to see all of their dreams fulfilled. No one will ever live long enough to see the ripening fruits of all the seeds that they have planted. But the tireless dreamer will always understand that long after they're gone, the work to which they were committed will live on, filling the world with meaning and purpose. So, the odd couple set the stage, gave us the tools, and gave us the freedom we need to live out the covenant. The rest must be in our hands. 
That's what our humanity is really all about. Shabbat Shalom. As we march towards Sukkot, Simchat Torah, and beyond, Chag Sameach, Chagim Uzmanim, Lissason, Shabbat Shalom.